Welcome to another exciting episode of the Slab Bodyboarding Podcast. Today we are thrilled to have with us a South African surfer who has been turning heads in the world of surfing for nearly three decades. He is none other than Ricky Basnett, a talented athlete with a passion for waves and a fierce creative drive. Born and raised in South Africa, Ricky has been surfing since he was about six years old and quickly fell in love with the ocean and wave riding. Over the years, he has honed his skills and developed a unique style that combines power and finesse, making him a force to be reckoned with in the water. Ricky has competed in numerous competitions around the world and has earned a reputation as one of the most exciting surfers to watch. In this episode of the Slab Bodywooden Podcast, we get a chance to hear from Ricky himself about his journey in surfing, his experiences competing at the highest level, and his battle with alcoholism. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a conversation with one of South Africa's most talented surfers, Ricky Basnett. Are you looking to stay safe online, increase your privacy, and scratch out the best prices for airplane tickets around the world? then Surfshark VPN is definitely for you. Surfshark VPN allows you to browse the internet more safely and privately by concealing your location from any pesky hackers who might want to have a nosy poke around your device. Surfshark VPN also allows you to get great prices and deals on things like flights and hotels because you can change your location, thereby snagging local deals which you may not have been able to otherwise. Surfshark VPN has offered a fantastic 83% discount plus three months free just by following the link in my bio and using the discount code SLAB. That's S-L-A-B on checkout. Ricky Basnet, welcome to the Slab Bodyboarding Podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on. Uh, some people might think it's a little bit weird as to why I've got a stand-up surfer on the pod, but um, hopefully in this conversation, you'll you'll see why. Um, welcome, dude. I'll hit you straight away with a massive question. All right. Who is Ricky Basnett? Because a lot of the listeners won't know who you are or where you're from and stuff like that. Who is Ricky Basnett? All right. Um, my name is Ricky Basnett, a.k.a. Ricky Bobby, a.k.a. Ricky Badness. Uh, I'm 37 years old and I'm a, oh fuck, I'm a, I don't consider myself a, a stand-up surfer, I'm a wave rider. I, I, I ride away from whatever fucking craft I can get my hands on. And I am a tattoo artist and photographer mm-hmm. in my life besides surfing. And yeah, I fucking yeah, I cave rock on the bluff in Durban. Geordie Smith once mentioned that you were one of the best natural talents to come out of South Africa in terms of surfing um, that he had ever seen. Tell us your story in terms of the surfing world, kind of where it started for you. Um, just right back to the beginning so we get a good idea of, of, of where it started, basically. Um, yeah, so I grew up I grew up on the beach. Um, my dad was a surfer and a fisherman and windsurfer, and he was just like an ocean dude. So I was from really young, just on the beach. The first, the first board, I, the first craft I ever uh, got introduced to for the ocean was a bodyboard, mm-hmm. and uh, fuck, I mean that it's kind of, I'd say most people who's, who get into playing in the ocean start on a on a bodyboard. It's just easily accessible. Yeah. It's there. It's fun. Yeah. It's soft. It's, it's you know, it's got everything you need, and after, so I think like. By the time I was like five, four or five years old, I was like messing around on the bodyboard. And then I think I started surf. I started surfing when I was about six. But I was one of those kids who 
fuck, I didn't like getting pushed into ways or helped or, you know, I wanted to, I must do it myself. I can mm. do this. So I ended up throwing tantrums and fucking, you know, causing grief for my buddies. So they said, <laughs> okay, fine, leave the surfing. And then I, I played like tennis and soccer and badminton and all kinds of different shit from like six to eight. And then when I was eight again, I picked up surfing and then like ran with it. Mm-hmm. And for, I started, my first contest was at nine. It was like a tiny little thing at South Beach in Durban. And I won my first one. And then I won that little event and the guys were like, okay, now we need to get you to essays. So the next year was my first essays and I won my first essays. Mm-hmm. And basically like from under 10s up to under 20s over that, that period of time, Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like super successful as a kid surfing. Fuck, I'd like, yeah. it was weird if I entered a comp and didn't win. Like, yeah. I don't want to sound egoic, but like at the time, that was. No, that's just the way it is. Like, I, I just knew, I felt like I was going to win. Um, yeah, so in, in saying that, from a very young age as well, I'd say from like 14, 15, I was. At the same time as doing like exceptionally well competing, there was two sides in me where competing was fun, winning was cool, but oh my god, free surfing and seeing stuff like Bruce Irons and those dudes and Frankie was mm-hmm. really like pulling me. Like, oh my god, that world seems like where I want to live. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for a long time in South Africa, we didn't have free surfing as a as an option. So yeah. I, there was only one option and that's get on tour. So yeah. I can do that and that's your that's your life. So that's a whole nother story. But yeah, that competition basically ended up like just sucking life out of surfing for me, 100%. So yeah. like life, that kind of side of things got me really high, but at the same mm-hmm. time caught an extreme low. And, you know, ever since... Leaving the tour fucking 15 years ago, whatever, I've, it's been a process of refining my love for surfing, wave mm-hmm. riding, everything besides that competitive world where yeah. I, yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't compete too well with me. Yeah, that pressure cooker. You've, um, yeah. It's a funny thing. You mentioned in two different places at two different times. So in your No Regrets kind of mini documentary that you did, um, and also on the Feral Life um, video channel, you mentioned yeah. that the tour wasn't what you were expecting. So unpack that for me. So kind of like as a, a young Grom on the junior tour, moving up to the the the, the yeah. world tour, what was the disconnect between what you were expecting versus what it was? I think I was, I was like slightly delusional. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh naive because so you're young like bro the curious the qualifying series is just a nightmare it's like fuck it's a grind and especially coming from south africa we didn't have a, a whole lot of budget you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's standard yeah. so it was like sleeping in board bags and fucking on the beach and absolute rat holes with seven o's crammed into a room and just mm-hmm. shit everywhere and when you kind of start like getting out of that you break onto this where at the time it was called the dream tour, right? Yeah. And I was expecting like a fair step up in the way you were treated and the accommodation and, you know, all of like, you're on the fucking dream tour now. You're going to get yeah. like, 
you've awesome. made it. And then, you've made it. And then it was, it was kind of two things. It was basically one was like, fucking nothing much really has changed. I still got to hustle and like, make my way. I think as, unless you're one of those like top three O's in the world, top five, mm-hmm. then it's a different story. But if you're just on tour and you're one of the O's that are fucking get along with it, it's kind of, it's, it can be a loss. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me, traveling was always two-sided as well because seeing other places and, and experiencing the world was one of the best things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. But there's always a part of me that was my, having like my heart at home. Yeah. And so I was really, always really torn. I was like quite a homesick dude, but uh, the traveling was in, insane. And then on top of that, I think like the main thing that kind of ruined it for me was just how it was, it was, it, it wasn't like surfing to me. It was like this, this old dude's club where there were even more fucking rules and regulations and things you had to do to perform. And oh, just, it didn't like, I'm just not that type of earth, you know, mm-hmm. it likes to conform to all the norms. So it, it was yeah. like, it was just like getting put into an even smaller box. Yeah. Um, if I can describe it like that. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I battled a lot mentally with being, with feeling ungrateful for where I was and like people would fucking die to be where I was, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and inside I was just like drinking every fucking day to try and disconnect from being where I was. Yeah. So that just like destroyed me for a while too. I was like not understanding my head, just telling me, oh, you suck, why are you fucking doing this? You've got everything you need. You're staying yeah. in beach houses in Fiji and park. Just learning how to un- unpack what what was going on mentally for me it took it took yeah. a while. I'm trying yeah. to be honest to myself. Straining. I just want to just be like, fuck off. Just let me be like what I want to be. I don't want to go yeah. back and surf contests. Yeah. Let me be. So yeah. that was like so, that was my journey there. I think a very relevant point now nowadays and maybe more relatable is today's social media specifically instagram is there is definitely a an image that people project so you see travel influencers they're all around the world they're showing the absolute best of the best but nobody sees behind the curtain nobody sees what the grind actually looks like so i think for a lot of people nowadays they may relate to what you felt far better because they may understand it better you've said in a previous podcast how do you explain to people that you are depressed when you are living the dream life how did you broach that how what was your coping mechanism for that what did it look like i didn't i didn't really understand depression and i've never i never thought i was someone who was depressed i just i thought i was a drinker Mm -hmm. i thought i was like i thought i was always like a bit down because i was hungover or you know what i mean mm-hmm. so my my coping mechanisms as a kid in my 20s and stuff was i feel really really bad inside everything around me is absolutely insane but inside i'm feeling really shit so i'm just going to stop that feeling mm-hmm. and booze is probably the best thing in the entire world as a that's a painkiller you know what i mean mm-hmm. one drink and it's like everything just goes away. away yeah so I discovered that when I was like 14, 15. Yeah. And that was like those few years between like 15 and 20 are such formative years Mm -hmm. of learning how to deal with things. And for me, I learned very quickly that I could deal with things by drinking. Yeah. And I won't lie. It did. It really did help stop those feelings. But at the same time, it exacerbated everything else 
a thousandfold. Yeah. So for those brief times when I was drinking and whatever, I was, hey, I'll be honest, I fucking felt good. I was having fun. But the, the thing is, all it did was compound and layer that depression mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper until it fucking filled that entirety of me. So in going through things like not being able to find my place on tour, that my second year on the CT, I lost literally every single heat I surfed the entire year. Mm. I didn't really, I have the record <laughs> on, on tour for losing every single heat. It was like a proper mindfuck. Um, yeah. I was st- I was happy because it was like, I've always, well, I was always like a fuck you type of person. So to me, it was mm-hmm. just like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> like, I'm winning by losing. Yeah, you know I mean? absolutely. But, yeah, so I, I, in going through all of that stuff, I had, I had zero skills, learned skills growing up to deal with any of that. So it was like, Fuck, only in my, I'd say only properly from like my 30s did yeah. I start trying to understand. I, I first quit drinking when I was like end of 28, coming on 29. Okay. So I'm 37 now. So it's been like fucking nine years of yeah. like being on the path and two relapses and two rehabs and, you know, stepping stones along the way. But God, like knowing how to cope with stuff now <laughs> and being able to just live. It's a good feeling. That it is it, of winning. Winning and all that shit is a very, very fleeting emotion. So yeah, learning how to be at peace with the ups and downs. It's like yeah, it's really cool. Hundred percent. So I watch your um, they're not daily, but kind of your inspirational reels that you put on on Instagram, and there was one that really, really resonated with me, and it's um, make it through so you can pass it on. It's kind of kind yeah. of a recent one. And and I think that's why this podcast is relevant. It's because that you I see you as someone that has really made it through, has gone through a lot. And there may be people out there that kind of need to hear that you can make it through and then yeah. there's a reason for it. It's so that you can you can pass it on. Um, yeah, you know, interestingly about that one, I was taking a friend of ours back to the Tugilan uh, River to see his family. And he was fuck. He was having like a really tough time. Mm-hmm. And he's like a grown ass dude and he was he broke down in the car on the way there, just like sobbing about mm-hmm. life can be fucking difficult and mm-hmm. i explained that thing to him as well about how if you just switch your mindset and you think about whenever you're in a like super difficult place you're like oh my god okay i'm gonna be able to help someone when i get through this because i'll tell you right now that every fucking person you see on the street is going through something every single person mm-hmm. so if you can approach life with instead of feeling like a fucking victim oh mm-hmm. why me First of all, understand this is life. You can't oh, ever no, stay no. up there. So just if you learn that down is just as much a part of life as top, then that, that feeling of passing on knowledge immediately just like uplifts you and shit. And point yeah. being, I told him about this story in the car and he was crying and I just said, you know what? You're going to be so much stronger getting through what you're going through and imagine all the people you could help. Mm-hmm. And I saw something happen in his eyes and like two weeks later, he came to my wife and he was like, Please just let your husband know that those words have, I'll never forget that. And I, I, that was just my feeling I get from helping people and hearing their stories grow. It's like, I'd rather take that feeling over anything. Yeah. Helping others. So that, like, yeah, fuck, I don't know. Go through bad shit, help other people go through bad shit. That's 100%. And on the other side, you might have a lack of story to tell at the end of it. Because that's what exactly. we tell stories about. <laughs> exactly. I said that the other day in one of my things as well. You'll find that the stories you love to tell are the yeah. worst times in your life. The so worst. Like, 
the worst times yeah. because you can look because back. Because you've made it through it and you feel proud that you were strong enough to get through this. 100%. I couldn't agree more. So we'll completely change direction to something away from the heavy shit. Maybe it is as uh, as heavy. For people that don't know South Africa all that well, tell us about the Eastern Cape. Just give us a, a, a rough guide to what the Eastern Cape is, what it is to South Africans. Um, and what it is to the natural world. Yeah, man. Oh, God. That, like, I think there's certain places in the world where there's just like an inherent natural energy in the area. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. those Aboriginal ponds in Australia, there's fucking the Yosemite Valley in, in America. The Transguy in our Eastern Cape area is like just fucking like sacred ground. And it sounds silly or whatever, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, go there and you'll understand what I'm saying. It basically like from the border of KZN, it's like sublime. Yeah. The ocean life, the culture, the on land beauty, the, it just everything is like spectacular. And yeah. let alone like fucking the most uncrowded, perfect waves, slabs, points. Yeah. <laughs> everything. Yeah. It's everything. it's an amazing place. Like I've been there loads of times. I spent a lot of my childhood going down to Bazana, the Kai, Port yeah. St. John, spent a lot of time down there. Um, so it is an absolutely incredible, incredible place. Surfing and natural life. Like the ocean, yeah. ocean diversity in that part of the world is just a it's, it's a wonder to behold. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. You were quite heavily in, involved in um the oh, fuck, the shelf railing, kind of the derailing of um it's, it's seismic blasting was planned for for that area. You and you were quite prominent on social media around the stopping of that. So give us some background on that. So what is seismic blasting? Why would it have affected that area so intensely? And why would have been why would it have been such a sacrilege um, for it to go ahead? And where are we in the journey and the battle currently? Yeah, I mean, God, I, was, I woke up on Instagram and looked at Instagram the one day and a friend of mine had posted a story. It was Peter Villiers from okay. Eastern Cape, another body water photographer. Yeah. Um, and I saw that they were planning the seismic blasting on, in the fucking Transcar. First of all, the Transcar is like a marine protected area, right? Mm-hmm. And like we've talked about before, the most natural, biodiverse place almost on Earth. Mm-hmm. Whale migration, the sardine run, mm-hmm. everything uses that place as like a pit stop of like a sanctuary, you understand? Yeah. So. Basically, these comes are coming to fucking what seismic surveying is, is using a vessel out at sea that send seismic shock waves and like down to uh, survey the ocean floor, right? Mm-hmm. Every 10 seconds, these things blast for, and it was going to be for like, what, fucking like six months, every yeah. 10 seconds. And each one is about the same noise volume as like a jumbo jet engine. Yeah. Yeah. Those shock waves getting blasted down. All those marine animals rely off sonar and mm-hmm. fucking those noise things, let alone the power of them disrupting yeah. everything on the ocean bed and ocean floor. Mm-hmm. It's severely, it's proven that it fucks with all the marine life. Yeah. They're uh, fucking navigating their way through shit. It displaces them. They want to get away from that area. Mm-hmm. It kills fucking all like smaller marine animals and everything. It basically is setting off bombs in a marine protected area yeah so it doesn't it doesn't make sense and you spent lots of time there and you saw that headline i couldn't fucking believe it i felt sick inside i was like Mm -hmm. no Uh, like i've got to try do something so i I put up a video 
I tuned fuck you. It went viral. And then we just like built on it from there. Organized. I think we organized one of the biggest um, environmental protests protest in South yeah. Africa. It was literally countrywide. And it, it was a, an interesting thing just to see that if people rally together and stand up for something that you believe in, mm -hmm. we have the power. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So often we sit back and we just shrug. Oh, oh well. Oh, okay. And it, fuck, you can make change if you want. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's doable. Yeah. But uh, currently, I mean, I just got sent, I get sent stuff all the time, like with regards to environmental stuff. There's Total are busy uh, doing planning seismic surveys. The whole of the West Coast, isn't it? Well, the West Coast is getting mud to shit. That's, that's yeah. just a complete fucker. Total are doing seismic surveying now in like that whole Nature's Valley area from uh, San Francis towards uh, okay, yeah. to Platte. That yeah. whole area is now currently being surveyed. Uh, it got passed under, like people didn't really, there were no fucking guidelines followed. The unfortunate thing is our government are heavily, heavily, heavily invested in oil yeah. and uh that's that, that that's the biggest you can like rail against companies as much as you can i mean even with the shell thing we had grady and fucking those those that were up in arms because they're losing their fucking money mm -hmm. but until there's some crazy i have no idea how it's going to happen but some kind of governmental change mm -hmm. all the uh opportunities for oil companies are going to be you can see if you look at the map of south africa Every bit of our ocean has been divided up yeah. into rocks for people to fuck up yeah. at the end of the day. Our ocean. That's all it's going to yeah. do. Zero plan to move to zero carbon. We, we in a weird place where we are like, uh, it feels like we're just stuck. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really know the answer right now, but fuck, I'm going to keep doing whatever I can yeah. in my own capacity. Absolutely. But you did have a small win in stopping Shell from, from doing the seismic blasting on, on the Transkai. So I mean, that's... Yeah, thanks. It, it shows was, it can it, be done. It was like, and to this day, it, it'll be one of the best things I've ever achieved in my life, just that feeling of helping out the transcribes. And yeah. one thing I learned really quickly going through that process is that as soon as you stop one, there'll be another the one. The next one's... Are, yeah, there's so another one. It's a never-ending process where... Mm -hmm. But I mean, fuck, such is life, hey? It's the, the yin-yang of life. You, you don't really know who you are without these O's who are doing what yeah. they are. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. Some ways you've got to be thankful for the, the <laughs> opposites in life because it, it gives you your reason. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, that was supposed to be a not a, such a heavy topic, but it <laughs> 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 turns out. It's <laughs> an important one uh, anyway. Yeah, it's an important one, It absolutely. And um, the heritage of that part of the world and our natural resources around the world, super important for us to be yeah. aware of and understand what's going on and also understand that if we band together with people with a similar vision we can actually affect change which is change is possible 100 that, that could be wherever um that's a global global concept so really good to see that happen in south africa in a place where people's priorities on a day-to-day -day basis may not necessarily be the bigger pictures a lot of people in south africa the day-to-day -day priorities is fuck it just getting by uh, awesome to see and just on that go subject on. as well, if any of you guys want to know more about what's happening on the West Coast, please go to Protect the West Coast mm -hmm. on Instagram. They are, I mean, they've been at it for a few years now. And you can mm -hmm. just see everything that's happening there. 
Just yeah. have, a, have, a, have a check if you've got five minutes and send support, yeah. In 2017, you were actually beaten by Andre Botha at the Cave Rock Invitational, which some people may not understand that. So unpack yeah. that for us. Like, what does the Cave Rock Invitational look like? Why do you have a stand-up surface surfing versus a, a bodyboarder at that specific place? Yeah, I think, so I'll go back to the beginning a bit where I'll try to explain the, the bluff. Yeah. And so the bluff growing up was very much, it, in when I was growing up, a like, fucking localized spot. Like, mm -hmm. you don't live here, you're not surfing here. I was getting mm -hmm. slapped like every time in the water. It was just, yeah. it was heavy. And besides that, the rock itself, it's its own local dude that fucking gives you a snack. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wave looks after itself. So point, uh, besides the localism and stuff, growing up, I would say that uh, like 70% of guys in the water were bodyboarders. Yeah. Yeah. But all my good friends were bodyboarders. Yeah. People who were charging that I looked up to were bodyboarders. Yeah. Um, and especially at the rock, it was seeing guys on bodyboards that like gave me fucking reason to go harder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think basically it comes down to K Rock is a wave that over a certain size, if you're out there and you're willing to get involved mm -hmm. and you are just respectful of mm -hmm. the lineup, oh, absolutely, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter what you're riding. I'll tell yeah. you right now that the those I've seen out there doing some of the wildest shit are bodyboarders who aren't from the bluff. <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> Andre. Yeah. Uh, Andre is probably the best tube rider of any craft to ever come out of South Africa. Like the yeah. things I've seen him do, the, the ways I've seen him go on, the way he, he positions himself. Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck who you are or what you ride. That is a better tube rider than you. <laughs> so it, it was like it was it was really cool to be and I mean so always it was kind of a wave where all the top riders would always come to surf yeah. as well. So I've always been introduced to like the top bodyboarders in the country. Mm -hmm. Always like, again, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'll definitely say that I've never had a vibe from a bodyboarder in the water. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the East Coast thing. I don't know, but other wave riders can get fucking very aggressive it seems like mm. my experience with bodyboarding and bodyboarders the O's shut up and they go hard you know what I mean it's like, <laughs> and I, that's why I respect those, the, the bodyboarding community so much because I would say on like a on an average level of of rider mm -hmm. I'd say bodyboarders go like three times as hard as as anyone else just as like you see an average O with a bodyboard out in the water. Mm -hmm. They tend to be going on closeouts and bigger waves. Yeah. And set and finding the waves. That's how I've found so many cool waves as well. Because I hang with bodyboarders and they take me to the secret stabs and shit. So <laughs> that kind of leads on to that uh, handpicked put on that uh, Cave Rock Invitational where it was surfing yeah. and bodyboarding together. Yeah. And they had judges for bodyboarding and judges for surfing. So... Yeah. It didn't matter what you were riding, you would get scored on your ability. Yeah. And yeah, it was one of the funnest events I reckon I've ever served. And Andre won, I came second. I, I did to put more events on like that. It was, it was fun. We should do yeah. a lot more like, integrated events, way yeah. better events. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a thing now where the uh, both of where I'm based in Wales and also in England, we haven't had a surfing nationals for many, many years. And the English Surf Federation and the Welsh Surfing Federation have now agreed that they will host those uh, those events for us. So they'll put on a separate competition. Well, included in, in the competition, they'll be bodyboarding heats, competing for their own title. And it's kind of strange to see the kickback for from it from both surfers yeah. and bodyboarders. I'm like, yeah. come on, guys. Like, we're well beyond that. Wave riding is wave riding. Like, Exactly. Um, the one thing maybe that I think is frustrating... Say, say that again, sorry. Way back in the day, and I'd say fuck, probably like the 90s, surf contests would have stand-up, bodyboarding, yeah. uh, paddle ski, they like all these different things in one single event. I don't know why, it's it's, uh, it's weird. I always get yeah. super into their, their, their lane. Yeah. Don't let other guys come into my lane. This is my lane. It's yeah. very weird. There's little waves <laughs> crumbling in the ocean that we're starting on. Guys get... <laughs> I don't know. It, it freaks me out. Yeah. They, I mean, there are some legitimate arguments. Is obviously, with the small budgets that we work with in the surfing world, they don't have different sets of judges. So you often have surfing judges judging bodyboarding. With That's a gripe on our side. Um, yeah. We don't want to be judged by a stand-up surfer. That they different wave riding crafts, so they should be judged differently. They may not understand the intricacies of of what the craft does. No, cool. um, and also location. Often a stand-up wave doesn't necessarily offer you the best bodyboarding opportunities, yeah. and vice versa. A place like Cave Rock, if you've got anything sort of six foot and and bigger, it doesn't matter what craft you're riding, you're still going to. Yeah, shit I your think. Pants. I mean, I think it would be like a definitely specific waves that you. Yeah. Most of these things that I mean, even like Java is not such a good bodyboarding wave, you know what I mean? You, you want those yeah. punchy, very yeah. sectiony waves, yeah. And then it would absolutely. be exciting, it would draw more people to the beach, I reckon, anyway. Yeah, definitely. I look back in your timeline, and you spent there seems to be a chunk of time that you spent down at J Bay. It seemed a very positive time with a lot of stuff kicking off. So, for instance, like Shaka Sledge seemed to be kicking off and it seemed to go in and then suddenly it kind of fades away how did that all fall down yeah i was i had moved oh i was still learning so much <laughs> uh i'd been to rehab in 2015 mm -hmm. and then came out of that and was like fuck it i need to get out of durban durban is dangerous too many things around i must move mm -hmm. and we all know that changing location doesn't really change, you know. Mindset, yeah. Mindset and stuff, yeah. But that's a learning. And anyway, yeah, it, it was, for a bit, it was pretty positive. And I was in a new place, so everything was exciting. I started mm -hmm. taking boards. And, but at the same time, I was, because it was my first couple of years being sober, I was really starting to understand more of the depression and stuff. Because I was like, mm -hmm. oh, now I'm still feeling these things, but I don't have booze or anything. Why am I still feeling these things? Long story short, I'd say my daughter was born. Mm -hmm. And about a year and a half or so later, like she was kind of the first thing I had in my life where I was like, oh my fuck, like this is true love. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I understand love and shit now through my mm -hmm. daughter, which in turn finally made me like rethink where I was and who I was with and whatnot, and how I could be like the happiest and truest me, I mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. So 
I was there for about two and a half years, shaping boards, blah, blah, blah. It was all cool. Jay was hectic with the crowds and shit there. It just like drove me insane. And I'd come back here, back home, and something just clicked. And I was here, I was at the rock and whatever. And instead of just being like taking my power back in a in a normal way, whatever, because I bearing in mind I haven't learned like I'm still learning skills about how to deal with shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I chose to fucking I remember I, I drove to the bottle store and I sat out there for a while and I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take full responsibility for what happens now. And I went inside and I bought myself a cup of quartz and I went and sat down at the beach and I, I just started drinking. And it didn't like I didn't just start drinking and carry on drinking for like six weeks. It was a process that had started that led me like leave the marriage I was in. I fucked up hard for a little bit, but pretty quickly afterwards, let like dropped it again because I have my fucking daughter. You know what I mean? It, I, w- I was basically at the point where I was like, I was I was going into all the different places to look at life policies and like, okay, I need to leave my daughter something because I'm like I'm out of here. Fuck. So I was, I was like, it was like every single day of my life, I'd wake up and I'd just be like, okay, how am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? I, I know it's going to happen, but I do need to make sure that there's a life policy in place. Like, like really planning out all the shit. It, it was just like, it, it was probably the really big turning point where I just, I chose to drink again and fuck it. It caused an, an insane amount of, of pain and drama and all that shit. But it's brought me to where I am now and it's brought a deeper understanding to where I am and who I am and where I want to be. So yeah, it's, I guess it's just another one of those things where check up on your friends who are always smiling and happy and, and whatever. Because like you said and mentioned, that period looked like like a really cool period for me. Yeah. When in fact it was probably like I'd say some some of like the, the worst time, like darkest time and mentally and shit for me. Yeah. So if there's anything I'd ever say, check in on those who are always fucking laughing and happy and smiling and putting on yeah. you know. Because maybe they're not the happy great... but I'll tell you like almost every O who kills himself, you'd look at them and think, I just never thought that. hundred percent didn't see that coming. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. You mentioned that at one point you were just almost done with surfing. You were bored of it. It wasn't inspiring you. You seem far more positive about surfing now and being in the water and expressing yourself in the way that you want to, as opposed to being put in that WSL box that you you felt yourself in for a long time. Yeah, for sure. That also just came with a bit of like uh, letting go of ego kind of vibes. For for after the tour and for a long time, I still felt like I was one of the fucking best like progressive surfers out there. Ricky Bassnet, blah, blah, blah. you know, <laughs> uh, like, I'd get upset when I wasn't invited on trips or featured here and featured there. Why aren't they posting my clips? Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> but uh, the more I've just let go of that shit mm. and just surfing because surfing is fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, fuck, I, I battled for, for a long time. I, I, I really wanted to be a chef, like, I came off tour, I was like, I enrolled in some cooking shit and I was like, that was me. Like my passion is fucking cooking. And a lot of people don't know that about me. But uh, through, through all of these things and being uncomfortable in all these places and whatnot, it's, all it's done is basically push me to a place where I've attracted things into my life that make me, I, I guess I do things that make me feel A, calm and B, creative. Mm-hmm. So like, my street photography stuff, same mm-hmm. with tattooing. There's zero shit happening besides being in that moment because you can't fuck up on just, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, body. Yeah. And then, you know, like cooking every day, just being experimenting in the kitchen. Like all these things that are 
I'm doing now, I find health my surfing side of things. Mm-hmm. Because in the past I just I was surf centric one minded, you know what I mean? That was Yeah, yeah. You you've got this talent, you have to fucking do that. Why aren't you doing that? Mm-hmm. So when I let go of just having to be a, a surfer, yeah, then everything else kind of like kicked in. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been really fun becoming not only a surfer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's sick, dude. That's um what do they say? And I'll use a um a cooking term spice is the flavor of life or something yeah. like that <laughs> you've got to change it up it's got to you you've got to especially for life. yeah for creative people it is about creating whether that be for instance your shaping the boards that you shape really progressive pushing yeah, limits think, in terms of like real creativity as well I as your that, tattoo. With, with the regards to the boards and stuff and the, like, I, when i go in and shape i never i don't have templates I don't have yeah. anything. I'll take up like, a rigid blank that's there, and then I just start like cutting things off and moving things around. And I think like creativity is a thing. You can be creative in any fucking field you want to be. Mm-hmm. If you're a mathematician. You can think of the most creative way to come up with a new formula. Mm-hmm. You can be a window cleaner, and you can fucking find a new creative way to do that. You know what <laughs> I mean? There's yeah, yeah. Creativity is boundless. It's just a way of what I've found is just not trying. Like the yeah. best way is to just, just do it. Just like start. Yeah. And you'll find it. You'll yeah. find your way. Flow state. I don't know if you... Yeah. Yeah. Please. Flow state. Tell us about Woo Wave. You've got Woo Wave kicking off. It started at this beginning of this year. Yeah. So that's another thing of where you think like just letting go and letting things happen. I went to do some media stuff in Cape Town for the Wayscape uh, movie nights. And but. When you're in a place where you're open to allow other people of your fucking ilk in, mm-hmm. that tends to happen. This guy Daniel and we really clicked, mm-hmm. and I interviewed him, and that was it. And then a couple of weeks later, he's like, "Hey, dude, I don't know if you're interested, but I've been coming up with this idea of for these camps and breath work stuff and meditation. Would you be interested in getting involved?" And I was like, "Fucking a." <laughs> So it's kind of one of those things where nothing was planned. Mm-hmm. It just happened. And to me, those are the ones that feel right because mm-hmm. you're not forcing anything. Yeah. And so we had our first uh, camp last year and it went off amazingly. And it was, again, one of those things where helping people really helped full mark up and just seeing people improve in their surfing like in a day or two mm-hmm. was fucking wild. And then besides that, just like Daniel and his, he's my co-founder, his breathwork stuff and just learning what you can do to flow outside of surfing mm-hmm. and combining the two is, mm-hmm. is wild. So yeah, we've got this year, we've got Sumatra, we've got a boat trip in Maldives, we've got another one down the coast and it's going to be fun. So yeah, <laughs> anyone who's keen, check out surfforearth.com and it's all there. This episode was brought to you by Surfshark VPN. If you'd like a fantastic 83% discount plus three months free, just follow the link in my Instagram bio using the discount code SLAB, that's S-L-A-B, at checkout to get your discount. What's your dumbest tattoo? Dumbest? Yeah, do you have the dumbest tattoo? Oh, when I was, when I was relapsing, 
I chopped FML on my on my hand. <laughs> but it's pretty cool because every time I look down, I see fuck my laugh. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you 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 made it through that one. <laughs> but, 